Today when you walked in, you may have noticed a number of high schoolers at doors greeting you as you walked in from outside or maybe even into the worship center um, wearing their Athens gear. I want to let you know about a way that we're supporting our high school students who go to Troy, Athens this weekend. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity to show up at Athens during Charity Week on a Friday when they were revealing the amount of money they rose, that they raised for the particular charity that was that year. And there was not many things in my life that I experienced like what happened on that Friday because when they pulled off the sheet uncovering the different numbers when it hit that final number it was like winning a state championship the high school students flooded the courts there was tears there was shouts of joy and for me in that moment there was something really cool um, because I knew one I knew the charity they were raising for and what that charity was going to do and what it was going to allow allow that charity to do for a number of different women on the streets of Detroit but it was also because it was incredibly cool in a world that often discounts teenagers and talks bad about teenagers, I got to witness a group of teenagers who are changing the world. And so this year, we want to partner with the high schoolers. Um, particularly, there are several high schoolers in our church who go to Troy Athens. And so we want, to, um, we want to be able to bless and partner with them. And so today, at the end of service, on your way out, we're going to be collecting a door offering. And that door offering, 100% of the door offering um, that goes into the baskets of kids who are wearing Athens gear, that's all going to go straight towards Charity Week. Charity Week this year, they're raising their funds for a, a nonprofit called Carol's Angels and Warriors, um, which is started out of St. Clair Shores um, because, of, because of some individual's particular experience with domestic abuse. And so they have created this nonprofit to help um, respond to trauma, to help resource people in order to fight domestic violence. And so it's an incredible opportunity. And so anything that gives 100% of that um, that's put in those baskets or anything if you give online today or even tomorrow um, at faithtroy.org give or in the Church Center app if you just choose for Athens, all of that's going to go to Athens on behalf of our students. No strings attached. It's not to promote faith or anything that we're doing. Um, we just want to say we believe high schoolers can change the world. And we have a number of them at Athens that we want to just rally behind them as a church. And so on your way out, we'll give you a reminder about that. Um, but an incredible way to fight against um, some dark, dark things in our world. Today, we're going to continue our series, When God goes dark. And we've been in this series because the reality is um, that, that life is filled with darkness. That there are things that we experience, that there are things that happen, there are things when we look around the world we can say, well, where is God? Like why would that happen? Things that for many of us we experience something and we feel like God's not answered our prayers, that God's gone silent, that he's absent. And the reality about the darkness is darkness can either drive you to God or it could send you running away from God. Both are very possible realities in the midst of the darkness. See, some of us in our darkest moments, we feel like God's gone dark. And so we cry out. We say, God, where, where are you? God, why haven't you shown up? God, why have you let this happen? God, why, why, why? In fact, the, whole, the scriptures are filled with this kind of language. People complaining to God. People questioning God. God, why have you abandoned me? God, why have you forsaken me? Yet even in those questions, there's a sense of faith, a sense of trust that I may not agree with God and I may not know what he's doing, but I believe that there is a God. Some of us, however, in similar dark moments of life, don't cry out to God. We run far away because we experience something that makes, makes us question, is there even the possibility of a good God? 
And maybe that's some of your own stories. Because maybe you tried the whole Jesus thing and then something happened in your story. Something happened to you. Something happened to somebody you love. And you don't know how to reconcile that with this thing called Jesus. Because if God is so good and God is so loving, how did that happen? How did it not get stopped? Because sure, people die when they get to a certain age, but kids? Or sure, there are tragic disasters that happen in our world, but genocide? Like, what do you do with those kind of realities, that kind of darkness? In Josh Porter's book, Death to Deconstruction, he highlights a comedian, an atheist by the name of Stephen Fry, in reference to this, this particular question and tension. And I want to share it because I think it makes the point far better than I ever could. In fact, a journalist asked Stephen Fry if one day when he dies, if he's at the pearly gates of heaven and he meets the God he didn't believe in, what would he say? He had no trouble coming up with an answer when he said, I'd say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? For many who run away from God in the darkness, it's because of these kind of questions. Darkness that makes us question, why would I believe that a God who is supposedly sovereign predestines a bunch of young Jewish boys and girls to death by gas chamber? Only for them to then have an eternity of torture. Or why would I believe that there's a God that has a plan for everything and so when I ask him to heal that his plan must be for it not to be healed? A world with things like abuse and assault. Like why would I believe that? Now, this question isn't a new question. It's a question that's been asked for thousands of years. It's a question that's been asked since the beginning of time. It's why psalms and lamentations exist, because the scriptures ask this question. Theologians refer to it as theodicy, or more simply put, the problem of evil. What do we do with the reality that evil exists? How do we resolve the tension, if we could resolve the tension, of darkness existing in our world and God being a good and powerful God? Now, I think part of the trouble with this tension is that many people see, seek to solve this tension and relieve this tension in some ways that are just not actually helpful. Now, the reason we usually do it is it makes us feel better in the moment. And so maybe we'll say this for ourselves or we'll say it to somebody else. Meanwhile, it often ends up hurting people and driving them even further God, but some of you, some further away from God. But some of you may have even said these things or heard these things or believed these things before. But sometimes in the darkness, we'll respond like, well, God has a plan for everything. Like God has a reason for everything. God's in control. He's sovereign over this. Then the problem, though, with those statements Although they are often Bible words, the Bible talks about God, God having a plan or God being sovereign. But the Bible never talks about a God causing or creating the darkness. See, the problem when we say things like that is we create an equation that is not really helpful. An equation that is darkness plus sovereignty equals a mean, unjust, and dangerous God. We sometimes, in the midst of the darkness, suggest that this God 
caused the situation that we're going through. But cancer? Abuse? Like that doesn't come at the hand of God. God doesn't create darkness. From the very beginning of the Bible, there's darkness. And God is the one who creates light out of darkness. God is creating light. He doesn't create darkness. And evil enters into the world. Evil enters into the world because of the enemy, because of sin. But God doesn't create it. See, the struggle I have when I hear Stephen Fry's description of the God he can't trust is I don't trust that God either. I just happen to believe in a different God, a God we call Jesus. And that changes the way I understand the darkness. Alice is our youngest child, and she, like most, most kids her age, hates the dark. Now, Alice is also our youngest, which means unlike our other children who we've trained to be able to manage the dark on our own, she cannot survive the darkness on her own. She relies on us. We have to sleep in bed with her. She will not go back to sleep in the dark. And so, and, and I don't blame her because I, as adults, like we say we're not afraid of the dark, but you're still afraid of the dark. Like you know, like you know, you as much as me, is we're not letting our feet hang off the bed in the middle of light. Nobody knows what's under there. And now, and so Alice, like, and I don't, like, in her room, like, you think, think about it, like, as soon as the lights go off, suddenly the room transforms, and things that weren't scary when, when, it, when it was lit up get a lot scarier. The closet, which was overflowing with toys, looks like it has creatures on it, and you wonder, like, what is making that noise from the vent, or what's making that noise under the bed? And so she'll often cry out to us in the middle of the night. And so inevitably, I have to go in there. I have to help. And there's two things that help her in the midst of the darkness. The first thing is simple. Me. Like my presence helps. Now what's interesting is it doesn't actually change the situation though, does it? Like the closet still is overflowing with things that look scary. And I can't convince her that monsters aren't real. Like the darkness is still dark. I can't make the bad dream that just happened go away. Like those things all still are the reality. But for her, when she can reach out and feel me next to her, she can breathe a little bit easier. Because sometimes in the dark, you just need to know you're not alone. And not being alone doesn't resolve the tension. It doesn't answer all the questions. It doesn't make you less frustrated that it is dark or difficult, but sometimes that's all you need to catch a breath. To not resolve it all, but to slow down enough to close your eyes and make it to the next morning. Now that's not the only thing that helps Alice though in the, in the middle of the night. Not only is it my presence, which she wants to make, like she reaches her hand out to make sure my presence doesn't leave, um, but, she, but what also helps is she knows that I'm the one who decides if the lights go back on. Because when, if she were to wake up in the middle of the night and start turning on the lights, like you know I'm showing up in that room and I, we're having a talk and you're going back to bed and the lights are going back off. But if I show up in the room and I decide that we can put the nightlight back on, she has this nightlight that does galaxies across the ceiling. If I decide that although the timer went off that I'm going to press the button and the light comes back on, she knows that's okay. Because when I show up in the room, I have the authority to turn the lights back on. And suddenly that nightlight goes back on and the dark thing is not so dark. 
that corner is not so, so scary. Suddenly, if we both hang our head over the edge of the bed and I shine my flashlight, suddenly she'll realize the things she was afraid of she doesn't need to be afraid of. See, sometimes in the dark you need somebody just to be there, but other times in the dark you need someone with the authority to fight against the darkness. Because when darkness shows up at your life, you don't just need somebody there, you need someone to push it back. To push the darkness back across the street, out of the city, out of your neighborhood. You need somebody who can defy the darkness. And you know what happens if you believe that it's just that God has a reason for the darkness? You can't actually ask him to defy that darkness. Like, have you ever thought about that? If you believe that, that the sickness or death is a part of God's plan, you can't actually pray against it. Because then, it, then it's, God, it's God and his sovereignty. God is willing this. God is designing this. It's a good thing. In fact, that's probably why some of you feel this weird tension at a funeral because you feel like death's a bad thing, but you're calling it a good thing. Well, it is a bad thing. Death was never a part of the plan. And so what happens is if we believe that the bad things are actually good things, we don't ask God to fight back against it. But if we actually believe the darkness isn't from God, we can invite God to fight back. Darkness exists because an enemy exists. When you read the Bible from the very first pages, there's an enemy. In our own language, we primarily refer to him as the devil, which you shouldn't have in your mind, like red horns, a red suit, a pitchfork, and a tail. Like, that's not the picture the Bible presents of the devil. Or the Bible instead uses language of calling him a liar. And that he brings death and destruction. The scripture doesn't give him a name. He's called the Satan as a title, meaning the adversary. He's shown as a serpent. There is a whole host of creatures that are described as being the enemy Creatures that have some sort of influence and destruction that they bring about in the world. And maybe that seems a bit primitive and outdated. Like maybe we feel like we are far too advanced and, and have too much technology and information to believe in that kind of reality in our world. But I also happen to believe we live in a world that is very okay with spiritual things. as no problem talking about the paranormal or trying to manifest things into existence. So maybe... Some of us do have an openness that there is more than we can actually see. And perhaps the first century followers of Jesus were on to something that we often miss. Maybe some of the things that are hardest to explain about the darkness in this world can be best explained by an enemy. Because mass shootings, gas chambers at Auschwitz, kids growing up without parents... Perhaps that can best be described of a reality that there is an enemy that is very real and active in our world. Luke, in the book of Acts, chapter 10, writes about Jesus and says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. In other words, when Jesus does the things that Jesus does, when we read the New Testament and we see Jesus heal, Jesus heals the sick because sickness isn't a part of the plan. We see Jesus fight back against the enemy, cast out demons because the enemy's work is not part of the plan. We see Jesus raise the dead because death is not a part of the plan. Anything that Jesus does is undoing the plans of the enemy. The enemy has a reason for everything. God undoes, does that. 
He undoes the work of the enemy. He undoes the destruction. We still see the darkness and evil, but our God is a God who's not letting it go. He's a God who's fighting back. See, God is always loving and personal and good. And in his loving creativity, he creates humanity with freedom. Freedom to exist in love and relationship with him. Freedom to live and love like Jesus does. Freedom to align themselves with the will of God or freedom to not. And so we often see, we see the goodness when that happens, but we also see the evil when it doesn't happen. And like God created humanity with freedom, God created the spiritual realm with freedom. We often don't think of that realm, but just like God created man and woman, God created the angels and he created them with freedom. Freedom to worship God and align themselves with God or freedom to choose themselves. And so just like we see humanity choosing God or choosing evil, we see corresponding freedom that at times chooses the will of God, but we also see it choosing destruction and division. And so behind every death, behind every sickness, behind every power that abuses authority, we see a corresponding spiritual reality causing death and hatred and destruction. Now, why do I share this? I don't share it primarily to get God off the hook for the problem of, of evil. Because I think that tension still exists. I can't resolve the tension entirely. And it's still intellectually honest to be able to still ask God, well, God, why didn't you stop it? God, why didn't you do something? But I share it because of an important reality about the world we live in. If you want to defy the darkness, take aim at the enemy. Many of us in the midst of the darkness, we choose the wrong enemy. We choose a group of people. We even choose our aim at God. But what if we took aim at the work of the enemy to combat his plans? The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians writes to a church in Ephesus about the world in which they live in and about the battle that they walk in. And he says these things beginning in chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right, notice the way he presents the enemy here. The enemy is not a group of people. It's not a group of people who are promoting the sin you're uncomfortable with. It's not a group of people who don't believe the things that you do. Paul isn't primarily focused on that as the enemy. Paul's saying there is a spiritual influence behind all of that. That there is an enemy who is moving and influencing and who is at work. And he's called the Satan. He's the adversary. He's a liar. He lies about who you are. He lies about what is right and wrong. He lies about what is good. And so he says, behind every evil that you see in this world, by behind everything that is so obviously corrupt to you, is a, is a, is a not so obvious spiritual reality that is trying to force division and hatred stirring up brokenness and stepping on the poor and the marginalized, trying to convince everyone that we live in a world that we must come to the conclusion that there is no God. And people come to that conclusion. 
because they look at the world, they see the darkness, and they say, how could there be a God? Or maybe they say, like, I, I mean, I, I could believe that there needs to be a God, but I don't know if I could believe that he's good. And people walk away from the church experiencing the same thing. And it's important to note, when people leave the church, they're not leaving because the world is more compelling. People are leaving the church because it's just as dark as everywhere else. That what they've found in the church is no better. That they find the hatred, that they find a lack of love and mercy and grace, that they fail to see the light of Jesus in the place where Jesus promised to be. And so Paul continues and invites us to fight back against that. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, which it's, it's arrived, it's arrived even when he's written, written this. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take a helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul understands it's a fight and you will take some punches and you will get hit and it will be hard. It will be hard to believe that God is good. It will be hard to believe that God is present. Paul says it's a battle against spiritual forces in Jesus' day, the spiritual forces were influencing the religious leaders who didn't want the people to trust or follow Jesus, and they were influencing the cultural leaders who also wanted Jesus crucified. The spiritual forces animate and corrupt everywhere. And Jesus invites us to join the fight. He says that that means standing firm. Standing firm in what is good and what is true, and what is beautiful. See, standing firm is about not losing faith when it's, we live in a world when it's really, really hard to have faith. Standing firm is about having the kind of faith that believes God is good even when we see darkness. That believes God is good even when we see hate. That believes Jesus still loves and forgives even if it extends to those you don't want to forgive. We stand firm in that. And Paul says, as you go into that battle, you go with righteousness on your chest. Now what's incredible about all the armor that Paul lists, the armor comes from God, not from yourself. Like you're not back in the shop fashioning the armor, building the armor. You're not putting the chain links together so that you're safe in the battle. No, the, bat, the armor comes from Jesus. He's giving it to you. And so when you put righteousness on your chest, it's righteousness from Jesus. Which righteousness, if you don't know, is just a fancy church way of saying you and God are good. 
Like you and God are in a good standing, not because you did all the right things, not because you're a really good person, not because you prayed the right prayers, not because you're loving the right people, not because you're a lot like Jesus. No, you and God are good because Jesus died for you. And when he died for you, he fought back in the darkness that existed in your heart. And when he rose from the dead, that darkness didn't win. And so he hands you his armor saying, this is who you are. And you can take punches and you might get hit, but it will never change who I've declared you to be. And so he says, wear that as you go into the battle. Take this armor. The armor is an invitation to fight back against the very things that Jesus is fighting back. To fight for peace. To go into the places where there is a lack of peace. To extinguish the attacks of the enemy. To defend against the lies of the enemy. To find somebody else who is believing the lies of the enemy and take that shield and just cover right over them. To make sure that they don't believe that they are who the enemy says they are. To bring hope. To bring love. And Paul says, if you're going to do this, you need to pray in every and all kinds of situations. That there is never a moment as you go into battle that you don't need to be praying. Because it is a dark, dark world. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way in a sermon in which he gave against the death penalty promoting nonviolence. He talked about it this way. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. When we bear the armor of God, this is what we do. We go into the dark places with the one who says, I am the light of the world. Well, the scriptures tell us about the light of the world. Jesus in 1 John 4 says God is love. Love is who Jesus is. And so Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is always forgiving. He keeps no record of wrongs. And so when we head into the dark places, we don't bring hate. We bring love. Who is Jesus? In the midst of the dark and the broken world, darkness cannot drive out the darkness, but the light can. And so we show up as those who have an authority. When Jesus says all authority is given on heaven and earth is given to me, he then hands that over to his followers. And so when you show up in the dark place, you have the authority to turn on the lights. To turn on the light who is Jesus and bring the love of Jesus into the darkness. A few weeks ago, I referenced a pastor by the name of Tish Harrison Warren and shared um, a bit from her book, Prayer in the Night. I want to share another illustration she gives about the darkness. She says it this way, just as our pupils dilate to let in more light, to see more than we first thought we could, prayer adjusts our eyes to see God in the darkness. When Paul says pray in the spirit and on all kinds of occasions, this is what he means. Pray because as you pray, your eyes dilate to see the work of Jesus in those places already. Because when it's dark, it is really, really hard to see. And the spirit might lead you to some really dark places. Because the really dark places need the light of Jesus. And so as you go to those places, as you walk through seasons of darkness in your own life, pray, pray, because as you pray, God will give you eyes to see just a little bit of light. 
And it doesn't take a lot of light to give you enough sight in the midst of the darkness. It takes just a match, just a spark, just a nightlight with some galaxies on the ceiling that helps expose some of the things that were in the dark corners of the room. Just a little flashlight that helps you know the thing you're afraid of is not something you need to be afraid of. See, the darker the situation is, the darker the world gets, the more the world needs the light. And it's the more impact that light has when Jesus shows up as the light of the world. And so when you look at the world, where do you see darkness? Because where we see darkness is an opportunity to bring the light. Because Jesus gives you his armor and he sends you out not to be something that you can't be, but because he sends you out because Jesus himself lives in you. So where you go, so goes the light. And so where do you see darkness? Maybe for you, the place that seems the darkest right now is your own life. Because you look at your season of life, you look at your experience, you, like the darkness is all around and you have trouble to see anything in your own situation for you, I encourage you to pray and you keep on praying that God would show you the light and that you would know in the midst of the darkness that Jesus is right next to you. That he's reaching his hand out and putting it on your shoulder so that you can breathe easy. But I, he also wants you to know that he's not only with you in the dark, but he defies the darkness and he is fighting back on your behalf. And maybe for some of you, as you hear about the darkness of our world, you have certain darkness that comes to mind. Maybe some of you think about teenagers who struggle with suicide and depression. Or maybe some of you think about the charity we were talking about earlier, Carol's Angels and Warriors and how they fight domestic violence. Or maybe you think about the number of kids who are in the foster care system. And as you hear those things, you are drawn to certain dark places in this world. What would it look like to bring light into those places? What would it look like if the way that Jesus was choosing to defy the darkness in those places was you? What would it look like to bring Jesus into those places? What would it look like for your eyes to be adjusted to see what God is already doing in a place and simply join him in what he's doing? What would it look like to bring love into those places? Because bone cancer in children, death by gas chamber, I don't believe in that God either. But I do believe in the God called Jesus, the God who enters the darkest moments by fighting back. The God who defies hatred with love. The God who defies death with resurrection. The God who combats the problem of evil by becoming both victim to it and conquering over it. And that God called Jesus invites you to not be okay with the darkness either. To not settle for it simply being a part of the plan, but he invites you to, and gives you his authority to fight back. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we pray and we thank you that you are a good God in the midst of the darkness of this world. We thank you that you are a God who ensures that we are never alone. And also we thank you that you are a God who fights back.
a God who defies the darkness. Jesus, for those of us who are in this room, who feel like we are in the midst of the darkness right now, I pray that you would remind us of your presence, that you would help us to know that we're not alone and that your voice and your presence would comfort us. I pray that you would surround us with people who are fighting back the darkness on our behalf. And Jesus, for those of us who hear about the fight and the battle we're in, who are drawn to certain places of darkness, Jesus, I pray that by your power, you would equip us for that fight. That you would help us to know where to go and you would help us to undo the plans of the enemy so that wherever darkness takes place in this world, that your light would interfere with whatever it tries to do. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your fight. Thank you for being the light of the world in the midst of the darkness.